friends, and welcome to There's No People Like Show People, the podcast that connects and reconnects the theater community, inspires hope, and strives to help people not feel so alone. I am your host, Sarah Philibon. Welcome back, friends. There are so many ways to support There's No People Like Show People. Would you like to be a guest on the show? How about joining our exclusive ambassador program? For more information, please follow us on Instagram at There's No People Like Show People. And we now have merchandise. Just head on over to There's No People Like Show People, that's all one word, dot item order, I-T-E-M-O-R-D-E-R dot com for all of your comfortable and stylish podcast merchandise needs. We have t-shirts, sensible hoodies, cozy jogger sweatpants, coffee mugs, water bottles, and everyone's favorite limited edition booty shorts. And it's all available over at there's no people like show people dot item order dot com. Each purchase really helps cover the costs of the podcast. I can't wait to see all of you in your brand new merch. Thank you so much for supporting There's No People Like Show People and celebrating the resilience of the global theater community. I hope you enjoy this week's episode. I have just been having the most delightful day. Let me paint a beautiful picture for you, dear listeners. Today, my daughter Sophie and I, we decided to take a little road trip together. And we got in the car and we drove on up to, as some would, some would say, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. However, if, you're, if you know that TV show, which is hilarious, I say, then you, I'm sure, are a big fan of There's No People Like Show People. Now, today, I am chatting with a very talented and handsome actor and model. Welcome to the podcast, Vaughn McCod. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you doing, Sarah? Oh, I'm just literally. I feel like I'm on vacation today. <laughs> uh, we've been we've like done so many fun things. We went to the park. We ate way too much ice cream. Yes, yes, we did. <laughs> yes, yes. And you just recently moved to Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Yep. I know. I feel like you've only been here for about a month. Yep. Yep. Me and my girlfriend uh, Jamie, as you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we've been here for a month. Yep. Okay, yeah, well, and Jamie actually was a guest on the podcast, so you definitely want to go back to episode 30 and yeah. listen to the Jamie Thinkenthal episode after you finish listening to this episode first. <laughs> well, Vaughn, I have to know, how did you get into theater? It, well, no, first, where are you from? How did you get into theater, and what is the first show that you did? All right, uh, so I'm originally from Long Island, New York. I was born in Long Island. Spent half my childhood in Long Island, and then I went to um, I moved to Georgia, and then I you know I spent my um, the rest of my um, college career or educational career I should say in Georgia. Uh, the first, the very very first musical I ever did was actually Pirates at Penzance, and I was the sergeant. <laughs> I was going to ask if you wore tights in that musical, because don't they wear tights? You know or am what? I thinking of something else? The pirates definitely wear tights. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I actually wore tights as the sergeant. I had a whole get up of, you know, full police uniform uh, with, the uh, you know, the old fashioned um, <laughs> police uniforms that they had. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't, I don't actually remember me wearing tights it was so long ago. I could be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure I didn't. <laughs> how, how old were you when you did the show? Oh gosh, uh, I was in seventh grade, so middle school. That's when I first got introduced to theater, and I, you know, I, I got the bug. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I fell in love with it, and at the time I was in chorus, and so the choral department. And the theater department, they teamed up for Pirates of Penzance. And so they had auditions and everything. And then that's when, um, you know, I, I was selected or chosen 
to uh, take on the role as a sergeant, and I loved it ever since, and haven't stopped. That's amazing. <laughs> so did you go to college for theater? I did, yep. Yeah, so I got a BFA in theater arts with an emphasis in musical theater at Valdosta State University in South Georgia. Yes, I know exactly where that is, because... For some reason, I've done, it feels like a gazillion children's theater tours. I think I've done eight of them at some point over my, and a lot of them were short. You yeah. know, like a month here, a month there, six weeks here. And we did a tour um, where we like drove through uh, Valdosta. Cool. So, and I actually have a lot of friends who've gone there um, and they have like a summer theater program. Right, Peach Date, yeah. Yeah, have you done shows? With I have, yeah. So um, I did it. Uh, for one season, I did Beauty and the Beast and uh, Nice Work If You Can Get It. And they also had, uh, I believe, Ring of Fire uh, that season too as well. But I was in Nice Work If You Can Get It and, and uh, Beauty and the Beast. Nice. We've actually worked at a couple of the same theaters. We I've worked at Great Plains. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> so we were talking about that today, yep. uh, which is in Abilene, Kansas. Yep, Abilene. And, yeah, good old Abilene. Um, there's a famous presidential library. It was yeah, there. Dwight D. Eisenhower. Yep. That's right. Yeah, got, this is just years ago. I did one show there. I did a Christmas contract. I was a four-person show. It was GI Holiday Jukebox. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was all um, you know like Andrews Sisters and and stuff like that. Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy. It was, mm-hmm. it was super fun, but like Christmas themed. That's cool. Yeah. So, and you did, uh, I think you did Gypsy and Ragtime there, right? Yep. Yeah, so I did, um, in, that, in that season, that summer stock season, we did, um, I did Mamma Mia, Gypsy, and Ragtime in that order. And that is where you met your Jamie, wonderful yeah. girlfriend, yes, Jamie. Yes, I did. Jamie. Yep, so she came in um, after Mamma Mia, and that's when we did Gypsy and Ragtime together. Amazing. And, you know, Jamie, she's just such a presence, don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> a, be- a beautiful, wonderful presence. Yeah, she's beautiful. She really is. <laughs> but, you know what? This podcast is not about her. It's about you. It's, 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 it's about you, Vaughn. <laughs> it's about you. Well, I know that you were in Minneapolis uh, for a little bit before that. Is that when you... How did you get into modeling? So, um, so... You know, actually, Jamie, Jamie got me into uh, modeling. So I was still doing theater at the time when uh, we first started dating. And um, when I decided to move to Minneapolis uh, to be with Jamie, she was like, you know what? You really got to check out this uh, commercial uh, market here. I think you would do really, really well. So I was like, okay, well, yeah. So I, I got pictures um, taken in, while I was still in Atlanta. Uh, with a photographer in the area and then I got I used those photos to su- to submit myself to the agents in Minneapolis and with that market it's a little different than other markets they allow you to uh, be multi um, listed and, and be represented by multiple agencies mm-hmm. so I submitted to multiple agencies and then they wanted to represent me and then, you know, I was still auditioning for theater in Minneapolis because they do have a presence there. Uh, so, you know, the Ordway um, and other theater companies I was auditioning for in the meantime. And then eventually I began um, to, to get work and started booking gigs, yeah. uh, commercial work. That's amazing. Yeah. What do you think are some things that you have really struggled with when it comes to this business? Just in general? Yeah, or, you know, it can be personal struggles or theater struggles or just sort of, um, I don't know, anything that you, that challenges. Yeah, so, you know, I would say a couple of things in general, just with, you know, how some people, some people are blessed to have training when they're very, very young and and their parents can afford to train them very, very young and get them that experience, get them that, that training that, that they need, um, in order to, you know, kind of have like a, an edge on other, on other people when they graduate college and they go out for jobs. I didn't have that. So 
when I first started doing theater and that when I really became serious about it, I really had to push myself and really had to work harder than everybody else. Even when um, we're all, you know, everybody's relaxing at the end of the day, you know, watching TV at night after you're done um, with your homework in college or high school, I always um, set time aside to continue to work. Like whether if it was just like working on a song, this one section just to get it right and keep repping it over and over, you know, they, I always had the mentality of working, getting better while everybody else is not working on their craft. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just took that with me everywhere I went. And, you know, I felt like that, that helped me. Uh, get to like where I was just that that hard work and dedication and perseverance and then also from a a standpoint as an african-american man the fact that just in general I um, black people have to work twice as hard in, in in America to get what they want yeah and so add that on top of it <laughs> right. and it's just you know I always felt like I, I couldn't relax, like I couldn't make a mistake, or I, I couldn't just say, eh, that's it's good enough. It's not, you know, it wasn't good enough. Mm -hmm. So I had to keep working and give 112% right. in order to get what I want. So um, in that aspect, you know, it, that's very challenging to feel that like you can't take a break or you can't like relax for a second or be off guard because mm -hmm. you might miss an opportunity or you might not get as, as, um, you might not get what you want, you know? I, I think one of the things that I respect the most about people is people who work hard. Mm -hmm. Like that is something that, I mean, my whole childhood was, that was something that was really instilled within me by my parents. I mean, from a very, very, very young age. And I think it's my dance background because I was put in, I auditioned and got into a, a professional dance company at age five. We went to dance competitions. We, uh, you know, I was always taking a million classes. I have, and, and you just, the le the expect, the level of expectation was always, you know, you were never working hard enough. You were never good. Like it was, you were always striving. It was kind of like a, and I look at myself now as an adult and I'm the same way. Like I, I get frustrated and I get upset when people aren't working hard, mm -hmm. you know, or when you're in a show with, let's say, I don't know, 20, 30, four, however many people are in the show. And there's this group of people who are like, fully committed and like work, you know I mean? You can tell they're going home and they're still working and then yeah, that was me. Uh huh. <laughs> that was always me. Like I felt like I always needed to. There is always something to work on. Mm -hmm. Always. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you've done eight quadrillion shows or if you're on <laughs> Broadway or if you're not. Whatever. Like you know what I mean. Like you need to work hard. And so yeah. And and it's it's always telling because hard work always pays off. It it always pays off, and your reputation always precedes you. And so I like to, you know, like I would just never, I would feel so ashamed and embarrassed if I was like the person who was like letting the ball drop or, you know, or I was like the weakest link. Like right. that would, nothing I think would be more shameful mm -hmm. <laughs> because again, I kind of, you know, relate a little bit to similarly being a woman in this business because you have to work harder mm -hmm. because there's so many of us, you know, there's just like... At every audition for every 500 women, there's 200 guys, right. usually. So there's just more competition. And so, yeah. So I, I know, like, when anyone talks about working hard or work ethic, I'm always like, yes. <laughs> I'm like, that's it. Like, that is it right there. Yeah. You know, it's funny. One, one of the things that I would do, uh, so each day of rehearsal when I was doing theater... I would make a list of things that I was weak on or I needed to like uh, take more time to go over. Mm -hmm. So whether if it was like music rehearsal or acting or just like um, blocking, like, oh, I didn't get that, that blocking down um, 
100%. Let me, let me go over that tonight in my room. I would just make lists of things I need to improve on each day. And then I, after the day is over, you know, once I eat dinner and relax a little bit, I pick, pick up my script, look at my notes, and go over those things that, that I felt like I needed to improve on. I did that each day, and it, I like checklists for me. Like Me too. <laughs> me too. I like making checklists. I, okay, I'm like, all right, I'm good with that. Check it off. Same, you know, each time, um, each day. And I would continue to to do that until I felt like I was in a good place. Mm-hmm. But even still, like, um, Jamie would make fun of me, like, with um, Gypsy and Ragtime. Well, mostly Gypsy. Because uh, I was uh, L.A. And so I would always go over <laughs> the, the, the choreography before each, um, before each show. That's smart. While we're while we're just waiting in the back, especially with Gypsy, I mean, like, what else are you gonna do? Like, yeah, I was a, uh, I was just L.A. So like, I had <laughs> a, a, such a wide gap of like just downtime. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I felt like I had to keep myself fresh because you get stiff just waiting for you to get on. You know? Right. So I would always like go, go over the choreography at least like twice. Um, probably it was probably more than that, but. <laughs> <laughs> But I would always do that just to like, just to make sure that I was like crisp, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's, what else, why wouldn't you do that? You know, I know like for me, I I am constantly, I'm always going over my lines, always. Um, And it doesn't matter if I have, you know, five lines in the show or 500 lines in the show. I am Mm -hmm. constantly running my lines, constantly looking at my script. You know, I would always joke whenever you would get notes after a, you know, a run or rehearsal or whatever, and you write them down and then you look at them. And let's say I had, I I don't know, 10 notes from the director, the the whoever was in charge. Then I would have, so that would be from other people. Then I would have my own list of notes that were two... For Sarah, from Sarah. Yep. I'd have my own list of notes for, <laughs> exactly. my, for myself, and it would be longer. It would be like twice. I'd be like, mess that up, need to look at that, need to review those harmonies, mess that, need to look at myself in the mirror, like, that was atrocious. Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. because I'm so hard on myself. Me too. And people have often told me, they're like, Sarah, like, you don't need to be, you, like, you were the only one who has all these notes for you. <laughs> like, it was fine. And I'm like, but it could be better. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was definitely like that. And, and when I got, when I received my notes from the director, I would look at the notes and let's say if I got uh, six notes, I'm like, okay, let me try to get four out of the six mm-hmm. so that I can get that down packed. Um, the, the following day, like try to get more than half of those notes down. Yeah. And because, you know, notes are they're just going to keep coming. Right. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, notes keep coming. It doesn't matter like how how perfect you think you did. Right. You're always going to get, you might, you're always going to get a note mm-hmm. until opening night, you know? Yeah. But even then. Even then. Even then you'll still get notes. <laughs> you might get some yeah. more notes. <laughs> but no, Yeah. Notes on notes on notes. Yeah. But I think that, you know, it's important to to not be satisfied. There's no you can't really be satisfied with your work as an actor. Like you can be proud of your work at the like the end result, but you should always be striving towards getting better mm-hmm. while you're in that process, whatever it is. Right. There's always something to improve on. And as an actor, we never stop we never stop learning. You know, even you know, Will Smith uh, Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, all these, all these great actors, they're always learning something. Mm-hmm. You know, they're always learning from their peers, which is, that's the best form of, of like, getting better as an actor. Looking at other people, watching their performance, you're always going to get better. You never stop learning as an actor. Right. And I think that that's sort of a good mindset to kind of keep throughout your whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely as an actor, but as a human being, is it's being committed to a growth mindset. And also, I mean, I've been thinking about this because I, lis- I listen to a lot of, shocker, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and people are always talking about, like, 
more than half the battle is just your mindset in life. And it's about, you know, showing up and, and being positive and working hard, but also having, yes, having a hardworking mindset. Yes, being committed to a, a growth mindset. But also the, the thing I've been thinking about recently is sort of having a resilient mindset is sort of having the attitude of, okay, whatever life is going to throw at you. And, and we both know life is going to throw some things at you that you mm-hmm. just weren't expecting. They just come out of the blue and they smack you across the face. And you're <laughs> like, kind of like the pandemic. Yep. <laughs> no, one, no one was expecting that. No, we were not. Not but at all. Here we still are. But it's kind of having, like, believing in yourself and knowing that you have the resilience to, you know, to march on, to, to conquer, to change directions. To It's just kind of like, well, I'll figure it out. At the end of the day, no, no matter what happens, I'll figure it out. All right. Exactly. So where were you when the pandemic, were you in Minneapolis when the pandemic started? Yeah. Yep. So I was in Minneapolis. Me and Jamie were in Minneapolis. And, you know, when it first happened, it was weird. Like we were visiting, let's see, I know we, we just came back from visiting Jamie's parents' house. Mm-hmm. And that's when, you know, we were like okay, we don't really know what it is, what's going on, okay, well. And then when we got back, then things got more serious. And that's when all the hoarding started happening with, like, toilet paper, (laughs) paper towels. (laughs) And we were like, is this the end of the world? What's going on here? I was like, are we going to be able to, like, poop? anymore like <laughs> like like well, is is there gonna be toilet paper available right exactly like uh <laughs> okay well i guess we should start um <laughs> searching for toilet paper now like actually like, i felt yes. like i literally felt like we we're on an episode of the walking dead mm-hmm. i was like mm-hmm. why is it so hard to find some toilet paper <laughs> I know. Like, it, was, it was ridiculous yeah it was something um and you know every single industry took a took a hit mm-hmm. with whether if it was film commercial work theater everything it was it was rough so just trying to like keep your skills sharp and feel like you're accomplishing something or just like as an actor whether whatever you do you need to feel fulfilled somehow and so i know there was a lot of people hurting mm-hmm. throughout this past year in 2020 because they felt like they just weren't being fulfilled anymore like they couldn't do what they loved and so a lot of people had to move on and get other jobs um to survive it became more about survival um and so you know that was tough i'm you know i'm, I'm glad that I think things are starting to finally turn around. Like, I think I saw an article about New York actually beginning to, like, lift their restrictions. Mm-hmm. And I think, I thought I saw something about them opening pretty soon. Yeah. Um, so that is good. Mm-hmm. That's very hopeful. Really good. Well, yeah. especially with the vaccine and, you know, more people becoming fully vaccinated and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, plus I was listening to, again, some other pod. I listen to, like, at least one podcast a day. Sometimes more if I have more time. But something about, um, you know, these kinds of coronaviruses, they really only stick around for about two years. Sort of like the incubation and, and the spreading. And, and then they eventually could just kind of go away or, or they... Um, not completely go away, but they just... they Subside? Yeah, yeah, they diminish. Like, yeah. And then it, it doesn't become so much of a threat. Right. So, which is good because as we get into, you know, 2022, then, then we're past, like, the two-year sort of, cr- you know, crazy period of it all. But That's I, true, yeah. I definitely think that there's a lot of great hope on the horizon. Yeah, I think, I think um, New York was one of the few states that were definitely on it, and they took care of business very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even though they there was a lot of things that shut down, I felt like, yeah, I felt like they, they, for the most part, as best as they could, tried to protect their people. Um, and so I feel like they'll be probably the first state to probably open eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, and then other states will follow. Right. Yeah. 
How, how do you want to see the world change, you know, af- after we've all gone through this pandemic? Especially the, the, what do you want to see change in the theater world? Theater? Okay, so like theater specifically. Um, so last year, on top of COVID, we had a wake-up call for America. Yeah. We had, you know, everything that happened with um, George Floyd and trying to push for police reform. I felt like that gave actors, um, people of color that are actors, it gave them more of a voice to speak about uh, issues that they have had with racial inequality or any type of racism within the different theater communities, the different theaters that they've worked for. And that's a tough thing because as an actor, period, you're, it's, they have the, we have this type of environment. Like if you complain about something or try to address an issue that you might be personally having with either a the artistic director or the management or the theater itself, the way they run things and how you feel like you're not being treated well by another actor because of what they said. It's like, it's like demonized and, and it's like, you're not allowed to, to talk about, to address issues that you might be having. It's almost like just perform and stop complaining. Yeah. And so when you have that type of, environment a lot of people keep what happens to them to themselves because they don't want to be seen as the the troublemaker or the uh what's the word i'm looking for the high high strung like like high maintenance high maintenance that's the thing that's what yeah or like being a drama queen exactly yeah yeah but there are issues that people that actors come come across an experience especially um people of color and they felt like they could not address those issues because they didn't feel like anybody had their back but what i saw especially from some of my friends they they found the strength throughout this movement to address the issues that they and the experiences that they have had in public whether it was on social media or directly to those companies. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And I think that what needs to happen now is that the theater, these theater companies need to listen. They need to listen and then they need to change whatever they are doing that is not making their actors feel comfortable, especially uh, people of color. They need to work on that and change that and actively make make it an environment where actors don't feel afraid to address issues that they are experiencing. And that's super important. And I'm talking about, it doesn't matter if it's Broadway or the smallest non-equity theater. It, and everybody. Yeah, all theaters. All the scales e- e- of e- Everywhere, yeah. Community theater, you know what I mean? Like any any kind of theater. You're right, because I think that sometimes, and this is not all theaters, but some theaters, it's like actions speak louder than words. Yep. And so they say that they're that they're going to make changes, and they say that they care about certain things, but then I'm like, I know you, we're okay, but like, put the money where your mouth is mm-hmm. like where are the act I'm, I'm like i'm not seeing any actions here <laughs> right I'm, I'm hearing a bunch of words that sound good or look good you know on social media or you know what i mean yeah, to, yeah. it's like you can't say that and then not put any and not be about what you're saying because then it becomes very performative it's very hypocritical yeah And then you're like, hmm, do I even really want to work there? Exactly. (laughs) And I've definitely um, talked to actors where they're like, you know what? I I," was like, after this, I like this whole movement and, you know, with Black Lives Matter and everything and and 
basically black people screaming out, we are feel we are oppressed. We're being oppressed. If these theater companies don't listen to their actors who are people of color, after all of this, after everything that's happened, it's like, what have you learned? Yeah. And a lot of these actors are like, no. Like, these people still haven't learned anything. Like, after Mm -hmm. everything that's happened in 2020, and then you're still doing that with with your productions or casting... Or not having enough representation in your in your cast right. in your season, and you're still doing that. It was like you guys haven't learned anything. Yeah. And so you know, based on that, a lot of I know a lot of friends that I have that are uh, people of color. They're like, I don't want to go back. Mm-hmm. Not because it's not my passion anymore, but the fact that I don't feel represented. Yeah. Right, Rep- I, right, exactly. I don't feel represented, or I, I, and I, I don't want to like make any assumptions, or but I, I would imagine that they just don't feel like their concerns or that their voice are valid. Like they're just not, they're yeah. not being heard. Exactly that too as well. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like if you don't care about me, then why should I want to work with you? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you know some. Uh, some some of my friends have either moved, have just stopped, or have moved on to other facets of the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. And you know, like, and it's it's sad, you know. It is sad because you know I love theater, but I I've I I'll tell you firsthand that I definitely experienced a lot of things yeah. that made me very uncomfortable doing theater very uncomfortable and it's it's really a shame like yeah i'm so sorry yeah i mean yeah i i mean i i i hope things get better you know and i hope more theater companies you know don't revert to back to what they were doing before Mm -hmm. but you know it takes it's going to take a lot of... It's going to take them to want to do that. Right. Well, I mean, and obviously, like, isn't that the whole point of theater in the first place? Yeah. Is, you know, telling... I, the number one thing I think... I mean, I want to see... The list of things I want to see change is so long. And I, I think I need to kind of organize my thoughts and, like, write them all down. Because I recently have been thinking about recording another, like, solo episode where it's just me literally reading that list out loud mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's a long list of t- you know and, and like, <laughs> on, you know on like auditioning and casting and performing and so many different sides of the business um but yeah theater is highlighting the human condition and the number one that i thing that i want to see change is more diverse stories told by more diverse people yes and there I feel like sometimes theater companies start to revamp things that they've already done before. Um, especially like older musicals. I'm like, okay, guys, there's, there are stories, important stories that you can, that need to be told mm-hmm. that are issues that people keep trying to hide because it's too, too, uh, people might be too sensitive to it. Mm-hmm. Or it's just too um, out there. Right. But these stories need to be told. And isn't that the point of theater? You know? To... Should be. To create a safe haven for people who have been oppressed. Mm-hmm. And to tell their stories. And to spread awareness. Yeah. To tell the important... To tell the important messages that these... That these, um, these musicals or plays have within them Mm -hmm. and i love like i love um certain musicals that just strictly just make you laugh you know yeah that that, i'm not saying that's a bad thing mama mia yeah (laughs) because everybody needs that sometimes too you know however 
I think at least, you know, put put a couple of those shows in there that really makes the audience think. Yeah. About their humanity and about the way they treat people, about the way they treat people who don't look like them. Mm-hmm. Because if you plant that seed of, huh, you may have changed that person's life. Yeah, truly. I think sometimes all it takes is like one live theatrical performance to really make someone think and and, and, and view the world in a completely different way than they did prior to coming to see that show. It should be a vehicle for social change. Exactly. And I feel like we've taken a, a little bit of a step back um, when it comes to that. And that's one of the reasons why I fell in love with theater is because of the, the messages that they have within some of you know certain... Uh, musicals or plays that's how, how I fell in love with it mm-hmm. because I as I began to continue to to do theater I began to do shows that really hit home really hit home for for me and and really had really important messages yeah I mean I sometimes I could be a, a, a deep person but um, I, I feel like, for instance, like Into the Woods. Yeah. I know some people don't like that musical. It's my favorite musical. It's a. It's I think so it's good. a. It's I think so it's a long musical, but it's great. Yeah. Like if you're following it, mm-hmm. it's so, it's, it's such a, important, piece of work. Yeah. Whether you know whether you like it or not, like there's so many good messages within that musical. Mm-hmm. Do you want to know my top, my current, well, actually, they've been my current top three favorite musicals, I think, for like the last 10 years. Number one, Into the Woods. Number two, Ragtime. Mm -hmm. Number three, Hairspray. They're my three favorite musicals. You know what? Those are are all great musicals within their own right. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and also, you know, you got to think, too, out of the three, race is, is a big topic. You know, Ragtime yeah. and Hairspray. And I think that, but all th- I really think that Ragtime should be done, like, everywhere, all the time. It's, like, such a good show mm-hmm. and, like, such a good message. And it just, like, it. I've seen the show a lot. I've, I've always wanted to perform in it or, or work <laughs> on it in some, and I don't even care who, just, just throw me in there, you know? Just mm-hmm. wherever you need me to be, throw me in Ragtime. And I, I just love it that much. But it's like the message is so important. It's so and it's so moving. I mean, I remember seeing I saw the original Broadway cast when I was a kid, and then I saw the revival when I lived in New York. That revival, I think I like I cried through that <laughs> through that entire three hour musical. I was literally weeping. It was just like so beautiful and like moved me um, so much. So mm-hmm. yeah, and the fact that you know the musical takes place over a hundred years ago. And in the year 2021, we are all still struggling with literally all of the same issues. Yep. A hundred like, years later. Like when I when I did that show in 2017, you know, 2016 was a not so great year when it comes to politics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so when I did that show, oh man, like it hit home. It it definitely hit home. Um, and it, I would say it left a good amount of people like, <laughs> you oh, know, yeah, like, oh, makes you think. Yeah. Really makes you think. Mm-hmm. I never got a chance to be a part of Hairspray. I wish I did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, w- I would love to do that show. It's so fun. Do it again. I d- did it, um, at Shenandoah Summer Music Theater when, okay. I, was, when I was still in college. Cool. So yeah, a long time ago. But what um, what advice would you give to kids or you know young people, college kids who are just starting out in this business or who they you know they really want to be a professional actor or performer or what what pearls of wisdom do you have to give to the youth of today? You know, go for it. Go for go for what you want. And don't let anybody tell you that you can't do it. You know, if you want it, go. It's yours. All, all it takes is, 
your your hard work and dedication and and being smart making smart moves making smart choices and a practical thing i would also tell them is to start start young when it comes to like researching like if you're going to go into um theater or film or whatever it is in the entertainment industry have a start researching um side gigs out there like Mm -hmm. try to get a nice side gig um like if you were like a when you're in college as a sophomore and junior that way when you start researching these things by the time you hit senior year hopefully you have a game plan you know you already have that side gig you could start working that side gig in college if you have time and then you won't feel so stressed out like where's my money gonna come from when you get out of college because some some people they don't book right out of college they don't book the theater company you know different um contracts for the whole year or half of the year some people have you know it takes they have to wait longer so having some type of side gig or plan you know what side gig you want to go after like online jobs so many online jobs especially in in today's world after everything that happened in 2020 i feel like there are going to be a lot more online jobs that are going to stay because i I don't think things are going to go back to the way they were exactly i think that with everything things are going to be a little different so i I do think that online jobs are going to stay um and so trying to go after those side gigs and like knowing what type of side gigs you want what's going to work with you something that's flexible that way you have some steady flow coming in after you graduate college yes and i i was going to say flexibility is key because you don't want to be especially when you're first starting you don't want to be stuck in like a regular nine to five job where you're not going to be able to go to auditions exactly so, because then what's the point? Yep. <laughs> you know, like, like and, and sure, like, again, nothing wrong with nine to five jobs. Like, stability is amazing. But if you are really serious about wanting to make a career out of this, you have to be, you have, to, I mean, like, you basically, your job is auditioning. Like, that's mm-hmm. your job. Your job is auditioning to get jobs. And so you have to be available to, and now sometimes, you know, I think it is changing a lot in terms of submission videos which I think that's wonderful. And I always thought that it should have been like that, especially with auditions in major cities, you know, New York, Chicago, LA, wherever, because most of the time they just wouldn't even consider you if you couldn't be there in person. And I, that's another big thing I think that, so, that everybody wants to change. Like, be more open and willing to accept and actually- Accept video submissions. And actually watch them. Yeah. Watch the submission videos. Very, very thankful about that. I do think that video submissions are going to, to, um, to stick. I think they're going to stay. To be honest, uh, before you know for sure, they, it was like a hit and miss. Like whether they, they're probably not going to watch it. If they do, great. But after this, I don't think that people are going to be so quick to have, to want, to have in-person auditions anymore because they know that that's a lot that's time consuming and i feel like i mean it could be more work what do you think like i know you've had in-person auditions before for the things that you've done yeah i mean gosh i feel like there there's all kinds of things i've done i've I've done a lot of crazy things in my life on (laughs) (laughs) like you know look looking back but you're right i mean i've i've been at that open call with the 500 girls and and you can't you know, you are like packed like sardines into a holding room and you can't move and the air conditioning's broken and you're trying to like put on makeup and everyone's talking and I've, I've been there. I've also done a lot of submission videos, some of which I don't think they even watched. But I would, I would think as a casting team, it would save you money, especially like traveling wise and renting studio space yeah that's true it would save you a lot of money because you wouldn't it's cost effective yeah you wouldn't have to have as many days like watch all the videos and then you know whittle it weed it down to like however many people you're going to call back and then just do it in one day that's boom i mean don't you think that's why that's why i think it's not going away yeah (laughs) i I feel like if they were if they were smart about it money yeah 
Yeah. Now it's I I do understand because I interviewed my friend who he's a talent agent and and before the pandemic he represented a lot of Broadway clients, national tours, and he said the tricky thing about that is that there's so many people on the creative team that like getting them all to watch all is he's like it's just not going to happen, <laughs> you know, because you have like the director, the choreographer, the assistant director, the the casting director, the producers, the, you know, like the music director, like it's a huge 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 team. So maybe this is more effective for smaller companies or more regional theaters. Uh, or I even think like non-union national tours, like, I don't know. And, and I'm not really, you know, I'm EMC. I've been EMC for a long, long, long time. There's mm-hmm. been a reason for that. And I'm sure one of these years I'm going to get an email from the union being like, okay, Sarah, it's time to shit or get off the pot. It's time to like, <laughs> get, you know what I mean? Like get that equity card or not. Cause I think I... I think you have like five years once you hit all of your points. Right. And I think I'm going on like year three or four now from getting all those points. So, um, but you know, anyway, so I don't know. I I do. I think um, it is going to be really interesting to see what, yeah, like how things change after, after this very reflective um, time. Right. Do you have a favorite theater memory or story that you would like to leave our listeners with today? Oh, <laughs> um, there's so many. Okay, let me think. Honestly, Ragtime. Uh, when I did Ragtime at Great Plains Theater, just the there's something about that musical that brings people from different backgrounds together and then they become a family mm-hmm. that's one of that's one of the few i mean there are other musicals that do that too but i think it has a lot to do with that message you know yeah it, it's, it's a it's a musical like no other it's my favorite musical but it just it just brings people together and so you just really when you're on that stage and you really when you're reading through that script for the first time and then you do the full run through straight through for the first time or you do that really intense part where where Sarah gets killed yeah i feel like the whole entire cast just like takes a, like a deep breath or like understands yeah. the what just happened yeah and the consequences that will follow and it's very, it's just such a emotional, and it's just such a remarkable musical. It like when I got to the end of that musical, for make them hear you, and you know I was in the um, the Harlem ensemble. It, like the character arc, it was just like you go from you know, having a good time and just you know dancing, being with the fellas, and then and then one of your you know, one of the, the people that you hung out with all the time, you know, she dies right in front of you and then you want revenge and then you go on this this whole entire um, campaign for revenge and then you're right there and then it just, Cole House says, just changes his mind and then just like, no, there is another way to make them hear you. Yeah. You know? And so, yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> it, it is, I think it is one of the most powerful shows I think I've ever seen. And, and I listen to the cast recording. Every time I listen to it, something different kind of stands out to me. Mm-hmm. And it like really, really deeply moves me. You know, like I've, there's so many times I've just like, I've been in tears, mm-hmm. you know, listening to like these people's stories and, and their journeys and how they all intertwine with each and, and connect to each other. And like where you are at the beginning of the show versus where you are at the end of the show. Um, I mean, like back to before weeping uh make them hear you weeping new music weeping oh, wheels I of a love, dream weeping yes. like just just weeping every single song in that music our children weeping it's a powerhouse song it's, so <laughs> it looks like, good. it's crazy it's so good it just like it gets really just gets you what, what's your favorite like two two songs yeah 
actually three songs <laughs> of that musical. Oh my God, that is so tough. That's so tough. I would have to say, um, number one, back to before. That, yeah. Because I really relate to mother because, well, hello, I am a mother. So back to before is so powerful. Um, number one, I really like gliding. Because, mm -hmm. look, I'm relating to all the parents. Because, like, again, Tate, single parent. <laughs> so, God, and the third, that's tough because there's like 40 songs yeah. in, in this show. Um, probably, I really, I really like, I don't know. Uh, Daddy's son is really... Daddy's hands. What is the? You are your daddy's. You had your daddy's son. Sarah's song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, about about. I can't even imagine. Like she thought she was again going to be a single parent, didn't have anywhere to go, and, mm -hmm. and so she thought she had no other choice. Like like these store. Like they really, really like. Oh, I love the one. And God, we could just do a whole podcast <laughs> talking about ragtime. Like we'll do a part two where just all we do is talk about the musical ragtime. Um, and I've talked to a couple other guests on, on the show also about, cause it's just, it really just, it's unforgettable. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, an, it's, it's, it's kind of like what we talked about how when you go see such a specific show and it like really, really stays with you. It does. You know, like, like through, and I saw this show when I was 11 years old. And then I saw the show again when I was 23, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and I'm 34 now and it, and it like those experiences, those memories, like I, I know exact like they're like guttural. Like I know exactly where I was and what I was feeling and what I was going through and, and how it moved me and yeah. Okay, well I'm what are your yeah. what are your three <laughs> favorite songs? Um in order, um Journey On. Mm -hmm. I really like that that song for some reason. It also has a great message. Um uh, Wheels of a Dream, mm -hmm. and then New Music. Mm, new Music yeah. is so good. Mm -hmm. So good. Oh my goodness, Vaughn. Just like, <laughs> what a... What an incredible talk we just had. Mm -hmm. um, thank you so, so much for taking the time. I just think you're such a gracious human being, and I admire your strength. I admire your work ethic, and I admire the way that you were like, a, a secondary helicopter parent today and, <laughs> and just watch, making sure that my two-year-old going down the slide didn't like you know fall and break her head or, or something because you know <laughs> that is a possibility so, thank you for having me yeah oh my god no thank you and you and you were right there <laughs> <laughs> i'm like that with our dog joy just helicopter parent everywhere yeah, you you have that like that sense, you know. It's a, it's like the spidey sense, yep. but it's <laughs> it's like the, the the parent, you know, sense there. Mm -hmm.